Well, I don't know if you have um, recently done any sort of home renovations or, or some home improvements, or maybe you've had to fix an, an appliance or sew uh, your clothes or, or something like in the realm of, of a handy uh, work sort of uh, area. But um, a couple of years ago, early marriage uh, in our flat that we were staying in, I needed to uh, fix our door. And uh, at the time, I didn't have really any tools. So I did the thing that many of us love to do, and I went to Builders, which is a bit of like a, a maze at times, and you just sort of get lost in the glory of cool tools and things like that. And being a, a student still at the time, that I'd save some bucks and uh, rather go to China Mall. And I think you know where this is going. Uh, so I needed some screwdrivers, some different types, flatheads, uh, Phillips, different sizes. Went to China Mall, found a box that promised everything I was looking for. Uh, it, it came with six, I don't know why six, you, you only really need like less than that, but anyway, six different types of lengths and styles of uh, screwdrivers for a bargain of a price. I thought this was amazing. Uh, and so I bought the box, I got home, um, opened the box, and uh, realized the label was lying to me because while the screwdrivers were indeed different lengths, they were all the exact same head. I bought six of the exact same screwdriver. Thanks, China. That's exactly what I wanted. I wanted six big Phillips screwdrivers. Thank you. Um, but I'm sure uh, at some point we all have a story about a knockoff product where we've tried to cut corners and do things cheaply. Uh, or maybe uh, you like to wear name brand clothes but don't like the name brand price, so you get involved in the counterfeit goods, no judgment here. Uh, and today that's where my mind went as I was prepping this, because as we're going to wrap up, we're looking at the very last verse of the book of 1 John. What 1 John is looking at today is the, the idea of these counterfeit things in our lives that appear to offer everything we hope for, but really it's a facade and it's a fake. They're counterfeit. Uh, I'm going to use the term today, counterfeit gods. And as we'll look in a moment, uh, as we read the verse together, I'll read a bit before it in time. But if you look at the very last verse, it says this, 1 John 5, 21, little children... Guard yourselves from idols. John uses the word idols to describe those counterfeit gods in our lives that appear to offer everything we hope for but can never truly satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Only God can do that. It's a very odd way to end a letter with, with those words. Little children, guard yourself from idols. Usually in these kind of letters, there's a sort of blessing to end a book, some sort of Say hello to these people, love you guys, hope to see you soon, and I'll be in touch. Uh, kind regards, sort of thing. But uh, in, in this, he, he ends it startling just like that, almost like he forgot to mention idols in the book. And he's sort of just slipping it in at the end there. But on closer reflection, this is not random. And he's really helping us here with this last verse understand some of the whole of what he's been talking about throughout the whole uh, context and book of 1 John. Just to remind us, some of the context of 1 John is, is that this church was under threat of false theology and false teachers. And uh, the whole church found itself in, in a situation where they were all just feeling very confused 
about what was real, what was true, what could be trusted, uh, what do they know about their faith, their salvation. There were so many alternative um, viewpoints and, and philosophies coming in and infiltrating and confusing everyone. And John, with his pastoral heart, he says, little children, again and again, and he wants to set the record straight because his heart for them is that we and them would have confidence in Jesus and know truly what is true about our faith, our salvation, and to give us assurance of our relationship with Jesus. There's nothing worse than wondering, am I in, am I out? And he, he sets the record straight for us, telling us what is true. He even tells us in 1 John 5.13, when he summarizes why he wrote this book, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. That you wouldn't doubt, that you wouldn't be confused, so that you would know with all assurance and be confident that you truly are his people. That you wouldn't have to wonder that you could rest knowing that you are his. That's what he wants to do for us today. And his argument and his defense against all the false teaching and false theology isn't an alternative philosophy, isn't a, a, a you know, moralistic argument or whatever it is. His argument, his defense is a person, and that person is Jesus. And he says again and again that Jesus Christ really did exist, that he really did come down in the flesh, that God really did walk among us, that he really did die on the cross for us, and that he really did rise from the grave, and that he did really offer you and I eternal life in him as we believe. This is how we can have confidence in him. And so if you look at the last two verses of the book of John, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, in 21, verse 20, he says this. It's, it summarizes what he wants us to know. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. And we are in the true one. That is his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true one. We're in him. He is the true God and the eternal life. And then he says the very next verse, Little children, guard yourselves from idols. So this isn't a random thing, because what he's really getting us to understand is that being in Jesus, knowing him, being found in him, is the most important thing about life. It is, it is our eternal life that gives light and weight to this life today, and so we should guard it against everything that pulls us away from that and that is what idolatry does. It pulls us away from the unity and intimacy with which we have in Jesus. Counterfeit gods lead us astray from being found in him and our identity being shaped by him and what he's done. So he's saying, God, that. The most important thing about you, you and I is our relationship with Jesus. So guard it from the infiltration of idols. There's um, a story in Greek mythology about these creatures called sirens. Uh, it's it said that these sirens were sort of half creature, half human, um, female, beautiful voices. This is what they would do. They would sing. They would inhabit uh, islands. And when the sailors would come past with their ships, 
these sirens would just sing beautiful songs, beautiful melodies. Uh, and it's said uh, in modern translations that they would sing about the thing you wanted most uh, and everyone could hear their own sort of song, as it were. And they would sing what you wanted most in life. They would tempt you with a beautiful song. And so sailors would leave their path. They, they would change their course of uh, direction and they would sh sail towards the island. But as they got close, uh, they couldn't see it because they were so captivated with the music. They were so captivated with the promise of what these sirens were singing about that their ship would hit the rocks underneath, uh, underneath the water that they couldn't see and it would end in shipwreck. Now this is a sort of picture of what idolatry does to us. It draws us in with the promises we long for deep in our heart but ultimately destructs, uh, destroys us, ultimately leads in pain because they cannot actually deliver on the promises they offer to us. Only Jesus can do that. Psalm 16 verse 4 says that those who run after counterfeit gods will suffer more and more. I think each one of us has in some way felt that. We felt the disappointment and the heartache of building our lives on things other than Jesus and expecting them to do what only he can ultimately do for us. And so the question for us today, friends, is how do we understand idolatry? What is it? How does it work today? And how can we combat it? God wants us to live a full life of joy, finding ourselves in him and being shaped by the fullness of the gospel. And we wouldn't lead, live broken lives um, which have been destroyed by idols, by building our lives on things other than him, but that we would actually in him, being found in him, live full lives and, in, and enjoy the, the, the identity he offers to us. So how ought we combat idolatry? That's what we're looking at today. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to be looking at five Ds, discernment, devotion, discipleship, defense, and dependence. First thing, discernment. Okay, I was a bit quick. I'll repeat them. Discernment, the first thing. If we're going to guard ourselves from idolatry, we need to actually understand what it is and how it works. We need to understand a bit more about what it looks like. Now, I know when we hear the word idolatry, our minds go to 2,000 years ago with the pagans where they would carve statues uh, and things would be quite overt and external uh, and explicit in that way. But I think if, if we're growing as Christians, God wants to help us discern the idols that we still have in our hearts today. Uh, and that actually one of the evidences of growing as a Christian is that we're able to see more and more just how many idols we have in our heart. And God helps us uproot it. He, he, he starts, God, by helping us uh, understand idolatry by telling us, first and foremost, that this is something all humans struggle with and that it involves replacing God. Exodus 20, when God gives us the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment he gives to Moses, it says this, you shall have no other God before me and you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything. It's very interesting that he puts those things together. What God's actually saying to us is that idols are a God that we put before him. When we build our lives on something other than him, we're replacing God. We're substituting him for something else. We're making something else the goal 
and the joy and the longing of our heart. It doesn't always have to be something external, some sort of statue. In fact, you could argue even thousands of years ago when statues were the idols, they only existed because there was a deeper inner longing of people's hearts. Idolatry is a heart issue. It's when we substitute God for something else, something else we'd rather have. And so we break the first commandment. We do have a, a God before him. Uh, Tim Keller, who's extremely helpful, he's, he's Yoda when it comes to idolatry. Uh, and if you're looking for a good book to read, I really believe that every single one of us should read this. Uh, it's a book Tim Keller wrote called Counterfeit Gods. I really believe that book is absolutely critical to understanding the gospel and being shaped by the gospel in our lives. Please read that book. It's brilliant. And he says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I think that's very helpful for us. Scripture again confirms this and gives more color to this. It sort of diagnoses the problem. Uh, Paul, in, in Romans 1 verse 25, he explains the condition of our hearts. It says that each one of us in our fallen condition, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. We serve created things rather than the creator. Now, this can be anything. Sometimes it's very clear, explicit, bad things like sin that, that, that we just sometimes stumble onto. And, you know, it can be drugs or, or drinking or, or like sex or, or whatever it is. You, you name it. We, we are sort of more um, aware of those things. But more often than not, they're very good things that become too important in our lives and take God's place. It could be things like career, it could be family, children, achievement, social standing, relationships, competence, beauty, brains, virtue, or maybe at a cultural level, uh, things like sex, which is a good thing that goes too far, individualism, economic uh, prosperity. Our, our culture and our hearts as individuals run after a hundred other things, a hundred other good things that go too far and can become counterfeit gods. We all have idols in our hearts. And one of the ways we combat idols is by growing in the awareness of uh, understanding and discerning what our hearts are running after and why. Again, Tim Kelly says, how can you discern uh, idols? How can you discern what might the idols of your hearts be? He says, ask three questions. Firstly, what do you love? What do you love? Whatever we long for, whatever we enjoy daydreaming about, whatever we could not imagine living without, whatever holds our affections of our hearts, those things provide us with a sense of significance and worth. And while they can be good things, they can also go too far and become ultimate, ultimate things. What do you love? Secondly, what do you trust? What do you trust? Whatever we look to to give us a sense of security and control, 
Whatever these things are can become an idol because we'll put our trust in them. And lastly, what do you serve? Because whatever you love and whatever you trust will ultimately require you to serve them. What do you obey is his question. What do you obey? It will ultimately demand you to obey it with, its, with your decisions and actions. And so if you had to answer the question, if only I had this, or if only this thing happy, happened, then I would be happy. Or if only this, then I would feel significant. Or if this thing got taken away from me, I just wouldn't want to live anymore. Well, I don't hear what I'm not saying. Because there are many good things in our lives, blessings from, from God that we are free to enjoy. We are free to enjoy those things, and it's a good thing for us to enjoy them. But like I keep saying, and I'm going to keep saying it, things, good things, can become ultimate things and take God's place in our life. And we need to be aware of those things. We need to understand that really God is the first and needs to be first in our lives. We ought to have no other gods before him. And really help us in discerning the idols of our heart. The second thing is that the second way we combat idolatry is to understand that this is a, an issue of devotion. Because our hearts are constantly searching for meaning in everything. We, we looked at this in the book of Ecclesiastes when we did that series. God has written eternity onto our hearts, and our hearts are searching for everything. And C.S. Lewis puts it very simply that if our hearts have a desire that nothing in this life can satisfy, the, the simplest explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for something else. I think we've all felt at some point the disappointment of putting all our hope into something that just can't fully satisfy us. That is what the gospel offers us. The problem is that our hearts drift and we give our devotion and worship to a hundred other things. Enjoy God's gifts, but still remember who they come from. When they start to become a source of identity to us, that's when they become counterfeit gods. Now here's the thing. Counterfeit gods never lead to joy and fullness in the gospel because our identity is being defined by something else. Idols will frustrate you because they cannot deliver on their promises and will lead to a disappointment and a crushing burden of hurt. They will hurt you. Idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. The, one of the most amazing things in the gospel is that when we run after uh, idolatry, uh, idols, it'll exhaust us because it'll require all of us It'll require us to, to die for them. But in the gospel, Jesus offers us a better hope because he's the only one that died for us. You don't have to spend your life trying to grasp, to, to, to attain something or achieve something. In the gospel, Jesus has given you everything you long for. When you come to believe in him and when your identity starts to be shaped by what he has already achieved for you on your behalf, you get to live in the freedom of a new identity. We all base our identity on something. We all deify something because we're all worshippers. We're all devoting ourselves to something. It's enjoy God's gifts. It's good to enjoy God's blessings and to thank Him for it. 
but deifying our spouse, our jobs, our finances, whatever it might be, will hurt you and it'll crush them. It'll crush those things as well because you're putting the expectation on them to be God for you and no one but God can be God to you, obviously. It's an issue of devotion. The good thing about combating idolatry is that this is an issue of discipleship. Uh, I'm sure every single one of us has a smartphone here, and uh, at some point, I'm sure in the last month, you've used your smartphone as uh, a GPS device. You've opened Google Maps or Waze or whatever it is, and you've, you've used it. Uh, remember the days of the good old actual road map? That was a ridiculous time. Thankful uh, to the Lord for GPS on our phones. Um, but when you open it up, you'll, you'll, remember, you'll notice it takes a, a, a little while just to sort of remember where it's at. It takes a little while to recalibrate and to be like, oh, okay, yes, that's north, that's where I am, and that's where we need to go. That's exactly what our hearts are like. We've got to understand because of the sin in us, corrupting us, pulling us away from Jesus, the hard work of devoting ourselves to him in following him as a disciple is the work of recalibrating our hearts to Jesus, recalibrating our hearts to our true north recalibrating ourselves according to the gospel. 